0: hope hope is a word that we use a lot hope is a word that for most of us it's it's a it's hope in a desired outcome but with a lot of uncertainty for example several months ago we were hoping that the Arizona Diamondbacks would win the world series It didn't happen. Well, the Braves didn't either, so I'm in the same boat. You may hope that the Arizona Cardinals will one day go to a Super Bowl, and that's probably not going to happen either. Neither will the Atlanta Falcons. We hope a lot of things. I'm hoping that this cold weather will go back to Kentucky. I, I actually enjoy the 110 degree weather better than this, so FYI. So, um, I do not like the cold. I, we hope a lot of things. Many, is, is we, as we hear our friends and family members having, getting pregnant, having children, that we may hope it's a boy or a girl. Well, it's a 50-50 chance. We may hope for one or the other. We may go to a doctor's office, and we hear bad news that there's a tumor, and we hope that it's not cancer. We hope a lot of things, and, and hope in those ways that we use the word is filled with uncertainty. We hope for things, but we, we're not sure if that's going to happen or not, but we hope it will or it will not But when the Bible uses the word hope, it uses it in a very different way and something that is much more certain. Let us begin reading in 1 Peter chapter 3 as we look at our living hope that we have through Christ. Beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come, To you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I mentioned last week as we began this book that this is a book written to give gospel hope to suffering believers. These are are, are Gentile believers that have been dispersed, that have been kicked out of their home. They are are suffering persecution for their faith. Uh, The the scriptures called them elect exiles. They, They have been, just like Israel was exiled, Israel was exiled because of their faithlessness. They were not trusting the Lord. They were disobedient. These folks have been exiled because of their faith in God and their faithfulness to Him. They are suffering persecution. So how does this book give hope to these people? And how does it give hope to us when we will suffer for our faith in the Lord? And I believe the main point of this passage here is that our hope for a future inheritance enables us to encounter present trials with joy. I'll say that one more time. Our hope for a future inheritance enables us to encounter present trials with joy. As we work our way through this particular passage, we first see in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our first point here. Is that I want you to praise God, because He has mercifully given you living hope in a future inheritance reserved for you. That you would praise God because He has mercifully given you living hope in a future inheritance reserved for you. This word "blessed," it's the Greek word "eulogetos," which means it's a word that means praise. We it's the word we get our word "eulogy" when we. Uh, have a funeral there's a eulogy and it's normally we are saying good things on behalf of the person that we have lost we're praising that person in this this moment and here we are praising God the NIV translates it as praise so we are we are giving God praise why well the text tells us our praise is directed at God because he has according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again. If you're a believer today, it is because God has done a work in your life where God has given you a new birth. Now, a lot of times this is equated with the totality of salvation, but this is literally the the, the beginning step. We, We are born again those of us who are spiritually dead, it, it, it talks about this in Ephesians 2, that we were spiritually dead. But God, in his, because of his great mercy and the great love which he had for us, he, he made us alive. Made us alive together with Christ. This is a work that God does in us. He talks about this in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus asks him some questions and, and Jesus says, Nicodemus. You can't, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Now, of course, Nicodemus, having heard this for the first time, and you and I would have probably had the same questions. I even had this kind of conversation with my daughter just the other night, and it it led us some same kind of conversations that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Well, what do you mean? I I can't go back in my mother's womb. I can't, I can't, I'm a grown man. I I can't do this. Well, it's not what Jesus is talking about. He says, Nicodemus, you, you can't even see the kingdom unless you're born again. Then Jesus says, well, you know, the wind blows where it wills, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is a spiritual birth that happens, this is a work of God. God gives us this new birth. And it's miraculous how this happens, one day we're sinning, we're, we're loving our sin, we're We're following the the principality of, of the air. We're following the course of this world. We're fulfilling our sinful desires. And then, it's like in a moment, we hate our sin. We see the worth of Christ, the beauty of Christ. And it's, there's no other explanation but a sovereign work of God in our life that he's wrought in us. He's caused us to be born again. Now, this new birth is because of his great mercy. The word mercy is a word that means withholding of of judgment. And we've seen he already, he does that because he loves us. He set his love upon us. We looked at last week. According to his great mercy. And I mentioned last week that that I think about my growing up years, and I grew up in church, and I had friends that grew up in church, and I friends that came from Christian homes just like me, heard the same sermons that I did. Same youth group talks, same Sunday school lessons. I'm following the Lord and they're not. And I and I and I confess I, I get perplexed by that. Lord, Lord, what am I smarter than them? Did I did I did I figure it out? Did I did I? No, that's not the case. And I read here, it's because of his great mercy. He's done a work in my life. And it's because of his great mercy, he's done a work in your life. No, I didn't deserve that. That's exactly what the word mercy means. It's undeserved. And what did, he, what did this new birth do? What are we born to? It says here, we are born again to a living hope. A living hope. Now, this is a hope that is certain. Not like the other hopes that I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that are willy-nilly, that we're not sure if it's going to happen or not. This is a living hope, a hope that is real, that is certain, that is concrete, something that you can plant your life upon. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's something that we can hope in. And he has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I want you to see this here, that the same power that rose Christ from the grave is the same power that takes us who are spiritually dead sinners and makes us alive with Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus, you are born again. This same power that rose Christ is the same power that takes a spiritually dead sinner and gives them this new life. And the resurrection is miraculous, isn't it? I mean, I I can imagine Jesus is, is dead for three days and then he breathes that first breath. That's miraculous. But even more, just as miraculous as that is your salvation and my salvation. That a spiritually dead sinner could be born again through this same power. That those of us who loved sin now hate sin. Those of us that wanted to do nothing with Christ now that we love Christ and worship Him. It's a miraculous work that God does in us. But this living hope that we have, what is this hope in? It tells us that in verse 4. This hope is to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Much in the the same way as the um, Israelites and, and Judah when they were in exile. The thing that got them through was they had a hope. They had a hope that God had said, hey, I am going to bring you back to the land that I promised you. You are not going to stay here. I'm going to bring you back to the promised land. And we, we saw that. We saw them getting back into Jerusalem and, and, and Nehemiah and Ezra. We saw that kind of take place as they're leaving Babylonian captivity. You're going to get out. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a long time. But I'm going to bring you back to the land that I promised. That land is perishable. That land is unfading. And we saw many times even the people of God continue to be defiled in the promised land. But here we have an inheritance church reserved for us that is imperishable. That is undefiled and it is unfading. There's a. Something that we can be certain of. It will not go away. And I want us to see here that it, is, it says here in the text, it is reserved in heaven for you. As he's telling this to these believers in First Peter, who have been exiled, he's telling them, hey, this world is not your home. This world is not your home. He's not promising them a return to where they live, but he's promising them something greater. That you are a stranger in an exile on earth, but you have an inheritance that is awaiting you. It can't be destroyed. And is there suffering there to look forward with hope to that future inheritance? And notice here, it's reserved for them. It is certain, it is there. If you're believing in Christ today, you have an inheritance reserved for you. It is there. But, but maybe you, you say, well, pastor, I, I hear that. But, and maybe these believers might be thinking, yeah, but I, I'm suffering now. I'm suffering persecution. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. Yeah, the inheritance is reserved. It's got my name on it. But I, I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the end is how hard is this is. I may give up. I may be tempted to take the easy way out. But not only is this inheritance reserved for you, you are being reserved for the inheritance. Look what the text says here. This inheritance which is reserved for you, verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last Time. Notice this inheritance is being protected for you, but you also are being protected for the inheritance, and you're being protected by resurrection power. What is this inheritance? What is this inheritance? What will we inherit? Yeah, a lot of times we're like, well, I'm going to have a mansion in heaven. Well, maybe. It's imagery that the scripture uses, but uh, we're, not, we're not seeking to go to heaven because of things. We're not looking for real estate. We're not looking for that. That's not what's being promised here. What, what are we going to inherit that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading? What is it? So what verse 5 tells us, who are protected by the power of God... We're protected through our faith, through trusting in Christ for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What we inherit is our salvation. What we inherit is our salvation. Well, Pastor, aren't we saved right now? Yes. But there is a sense in which we are still being saved and there is a sense in in the future where we will be saved. One commentator writes this, salvation is used here not of past justification. It happens the moment we believe we're justified by faith, we're saved by faith. It's not talking about our present sanctification, but of future full possession of all the blessings of our redemption, of the final complete fulfillment of our salvation. We are we have faith in christ now we are trusting in jesus for salvation now and there is a sense right now if you have believed on christ if you have trusted in christ you are saved but there is another sense that we haven't obtained that yet we still struggle with sin we still struggle with a fallen world but one day we will be saved from all of that And that which we possess by faith now, we will possess by sight then. We have joy in Christ by faith now, but then we will see Christ face to face. Our faith will be made sight. And we'll finally and fully experience all the blessings of our salvation. So he's telling these believers, hey, you're suffering. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer. you are suffering now, but you will obtain your salvation. You will obtain all the blessings that Christ has promised you. It is imperishable. It's something that cannot be taken away from you. You are being protected even now by God's power for this salvation that is ready to be revealed to you continue trusting, continue believing. And so the application for us as we likely will suffer for our faith, maybe not in the same way as these believers, but you know, we, we mentioned last week that Paul told Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. And dear church, I don't believe it's going to get easier for Christians. I believe it's going to get harder for Christians. I was thinking about this just today that The pastor in Canada during the COVID-19 pandemic, James Coates, had a firm conviction that his church should continue to gather for worship. And he was arrested. This is here in North America. He was arrested for gathering the saints and worshiping and praising the Lord together. And persecution happens, but the promise here is that this world is not our home. have an inheritance that awaits us the things that god has promised will be ours in christ so take hope have hope in jesus and this hope is something that is sure this hope is in something that will not perish this hope is in something that cannot be defiled this hope is in something that will not fade away this hope is in something that is reserved for us and that we are being protected for we will finally receive all the blessings of our salvation, that which right now we only trust in by faith. We will receive it. Number two, rejoice in God because he is testing your faith by present trials so that you will receive your heavenly reward. Rejoice in God because he is testing your faith by present trials so that you will receive his heavenly reward. When we look at the text here, we continue on in verse 6. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. We're rejoicing in this salvation that is going to be revealed to us. We're, We're rejoicing in this promised salvation that we will inherit But now, we're going to encounter trials. We rejoice in what is to come, even though now, for a little while, you have been distressed by various trials. I want us to see a couple of things here about these trials. First, I don't want to pass over this. These trials are distressing says that you are distressed. Maybe your version says saddened, grieved. It's kind of weird that you would put joy and sadness together. Rejoice now, even though right now you're sad. It, it, suffering and persecution and the trials that we face in life are saddening. They are difficult. In in speaking about persecution, even with my daughter, she asks so many a lot of times. She will say, "Daddy, what's going to happen if they arrest you for preaching the gospel?" It's never a pleasant conversation to have with your seven year old daughter, and I hope that doesn't happen. I, sa- I said, "I said, Tatum, we've got to keep preaching." We've got to keep preaching the gospel. He said, if, if, if that happens to Daddy, then I guess I'll be sharing the gospel with prisoners who need to hear Jesus. But that's saddening. If that were to happen, my, my daughter would lose her father. My wife would lose her husband. That, that's not easy. I want, want us to think about that. And when, when persecution happens, when even when folks lose their lives, as, as Peter is going to do in, in just a year from writing this text, as Peter is going to be crucified upside down for his faith in Christ, his family members, they're going to grieve his absence. These trials are saddening. I don't want us to overlook that. When we encounter things, we're not to be some kind of weird, twisted people and enjoy the persecution. It is grieving and saddening and hard. Another thing that we see here about these trials are that they're various. Distressed by various trials. James talks about, about this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We're, we're, we don't all suffer in the same ways. We don't all deal with these same things, but we will suffer in variety of ways. S-s- for some, that could be verbal attacks. For some, that could be physical attacks. For some, that could be even death. We saw a variety of trials in the book of Nehemiah when the people were ridiculing him and mocking him. We, we saw uh, threats of, 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 mer- of physical harm in Nehemiah as well. We've seen variety of of persecutions all throughout the Bible. Our our suffering is various. But another thing that we see here is that it is temporary. It says in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while. Uh, when we're in the trial, we don't typically think of it being very short because it's hard. But it's temporary. So they're hard. Let's not deny that, but turn. I want to read 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18 right here. You don't have to turn there. But it says this, For momentary light affliction... Is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When we are in the moment of suffering, it could seem like an eternity. Am I ever going to get through this? I imagine these people in First Peter, are we ever going to get back home? Are we ever going to go back to the land that we came from? Are we ever going to have a better life? Are we ever going to get through this situation? And maybe sometimes it feels like it lasts forever. We can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And maybe on this earth there is no light at the end of the tunnel. For Peter, there wasn't. For Peter, he's about to die in a year from writing this book. He's going to be crucified. But the light at the end of the tunnel is the light of eternity. And Peter will be crucified, but this momentary light affliction, even his own death, is not worthy to be con- compared to what's going to be revealed to him in glory. And what's going to be revealed to him is Christ. The revelation of Christ. When he sees his Savior face to face, nothing that we endure on this earth can be compared to that. So, it's momentary. Yes, it's hard, it's distressing, but it's just for a little while because we will leave this earth and we will obtain that inheritance. As we see here, also that these trials or for testing or, or proving our faith. Look at verse 7. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in, in in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this this proof of our faith, how how are we going to tell if our faith is genuine or not? How are we going to tell if it's real? And what we see in a couple of things here is that there's a, there's a contrast, and bo- uh, both a contrast and a comparison to gold here in this text. The proof of our faith is more precious than gold. Gold is, is perishable. If you know anything about gold, it's a, it's a metal that is, is, is seemingly indestructible, but when this earth fades away and the new heaven and new earth is established, uh, gold will perish with it. But our faith, if it's in the right object, which is Christ, it's not perishable. We will lay hold of that which our faith is in. This comparison here to being tested by fire, and, and essentially saying that these various trials that we encounter is testing the genuineness of our faith. Now I don't know much about gold, so I, I consulted an expert in the in the room. Uh, I met with Guy Smith this week, who who does gold mining and things like that, and I wanted to learn from him on, on kind of how this process works. And he brought in these two big stones into my office this week. And if I were to look at them, I probably would just use them to prop my door open to get a package in or something. It would looks worthless to me. Big 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 rock. And what happens is this rock is taken through a machine and it's crushed. And further, that, 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 that crushed rock then is taken and grinded into powder. Then that's how you can then pan and find the pieces of gold. And then in order to purify that gold, it is heated up at night 1,948 degrees. I think I'm getting that right. That is, that, is, that is a lot of heat. That's a lot of heat. And... Now, rocks don't have feelings or emotions, but I can imagine if a rock did have feelings or emotions, that being crushed and grinded and heated at 1,1948 degrees is not very comfortable. It's, Comparing to the trials that we endure, sometimes what we go through feels crushing, does it not? Sometimes what we go through feels like we're just being grinded down to nothing. Sometimes it feels like we're in the heat of the fire. And God does that because he's chipping away and he's crushing the things in our life and causing those things to fade away that maybe we're trusting in other than Christ. Think of the story of Job. Lost his family. Lost his health. Lost his home. He says the Lord gave and the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And what a test. What are you trusting in? What is your faith in? If our faith is not really in Christ. If, if our if our, f- if, if, if our faith is mere lip service to Jesus, and we're just saying, oh yeah, I believe in him. I believe, it. oh yeah, I'm on, I'm on Jesus' team. Well, in the heat of the trial is where that's going to be tested. You're really believing that you are going to receive that salvation in that last day. When Christ is revealed, do you really believe you're going to obtain that and if you do, then you will endure the suffering. We, As we've been going through Matthew, we talked about the parable of the soils in Sunday school and had this one who, man, he was excited, responded with joy, man, excited about Jesus. And you see somebody like that, you want to get him on the membership role almost immediately, right? Man, this guy's excited, this guy's, passionate for christ this guy wants to follow this guy well then the life gets hard suffering happens the worries of the world come in he's gone he doesn't endure he never really was his faith was fake his faith wasn't truly in christ but our faith is tested through the fire of trials and god is removing those things in our life that Maybe we're trusting in other than Him. The trial itself is distressing. But what results is glorious. That we come out on the end of that trial, that crushing and grinding and fiery trial of suffering... Verse 7 says that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then I have faith in Christ now, but then Christ will be revealed to me. We'll see Christ face to face. And what this text is saying, that if we... If our faith is truly in Him, if, if our faith, through faith in Christ we have endured those crushing trials, that in that day, this praise and glory is, is not our praise and glory of Him. It's, it's Christ giving us praise and glory for enduring. It's Christ saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. my inaugural sermon here in February. I always will go back to this because it's so important. That we're not preaching to please men. We're not teaching to please people. We're, we don't, we're not living this Christian life to please others. I, I don't need anybody's applause, but I do need one person's applause. And that's my God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When it come out of that trial, and we hear the praise from our Lord Jesus Christ, you made it. You endured. You passed through the fire, and your faith has been made sight. And down in verse 9, it says, when that happens, you'll obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, that full and final salvation that we've been trusting that we will receive. We will obtain it. It will be ours when we endure those trials by faith. I don't want to skip over verse 8. Peter is one who has walked with Jesus. He's seen Christ. Peter has touched Jesus. Jesus. Peter walked on the water with Jesus. But I think Peter marvels at their faith here. Verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him. That's what faith is, church. The assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that we cannot see. I don't see Jesus now. I can't I, I can't, I can't find him on He's not here. He's not on this earth. He's in glory, seated at the right hand of God. You can't either. But by faith you love him. By faith you believe in him. And by faith you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. We can't even even contain the joy that we have in Christ. That's what Peter's saying. And he's marveling at these these believers' faith who are suffering because they love Christ. They believe on Him and they rejoice with a joy that can't even be expressed. He marvels at that. Rejoice. Rejoice. Because through, the, through these trials that you endure, God is testing your faith and preparing you for what you will receive. The salvation of your souls there in verse 9. And lastly, and we'll be through, is to marvel at the salvation that was prophesied in the past for us. Look at verse 10. As to this salvation, this salvation that you are hoping that you are hoping in, this salvation that your faith is in, this salvation that you will one day fully and finally receive. It says the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come, they made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. When we look in the Old Testament, the the prophets were were, were proclaiming Christ. The prophets were were, 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 we we see in Micah that this the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We looked at Isaiah that this Messiah would be born of a virgin. We we saw also in Isaiah that he would be pierced for us and crushed for us. And the prophets, as they begin to, to prophesy these things, who is this? Who is this one who's going to come? When is he going to come? They, they were searching these things out. And then in verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced. Saying that these, all the prophecies in the Old Testament, all of the things that speak of this one to come, it wasn't for them, it was for us. It was to give us hope. And the one who would come and the one who we know is now here, Christ the Lord. This is for you. And not only were these prophecies prophesied for us, it has now been announced to us. Look also in verse 12. These prophecies that were for you have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This, this salvation was prophesied for you in the past. This salvation was proclaimed to you in the present. And What's even glorious here is this salvation is something that the angels long to look at. Look at what it says here. Things into which the angels long to look. I can imagine the angels looking down from heaven. Watching the events of the Old Testament unfold. I imagine the angels' excitement when Mary gave birth to that baby. Oh, it's about to get good, folks, right? The angels are up and up. Hey, look, there he is. He, he's, there's the Son of God in the flesh right there. He, he's just been born. The angels are, all right, let's see, let's see what's going to happen. And he's crucified. And the angel's like, hold on, I know this looks bad, but just wait. Then he rises, rises from the dead. And the angels, man, could you imagine the praise erupting at the resurrection in heaven where the angels are looking down and seeing the risen Christ? Oh my word, look at what just happened. This is better than your favorite player running 99 yards for a touchdown. Like this is good. Good. they are rejoicing and and even even more than that scripture tells us in the gospel of luke luke chapter 15 in the parable of of the the lost coin and the lost sheep and the prodigal son that when a sinner repents there's more joy in heaven of the angels when when the angels look down and see a sinner place their faith in this messiah man they're excited they are there man that's awesome look at what's happening but here's this The angels long to look at it, but they don't don't get to experience it. Realize that. The angels don't get to experience it. Christ didn't come to save the angels. He came to save you and me. The angels marveled at this. But you and I get to experience Christ. You and I get to experience the, the grace and the mercy that he came to give. The angels don't get to do that. The angels marveled at something that they don't even get to experience personally. But you and I, we've experienced the saving grace of God in our lives. Marvel at that. Marvel that God has prophesied those things in the Old Testament for you. Marvel that this gospel has been proclaimed to you. And our rightful response to all of these things is praise and joy. In the midst of persecution, we can praise God with joy because we have an inheritance that awaits us in the future. We have a genuine faith that perseveres in the present and because we have been given precious promises that have been fulfilled, given to us in the past. If you're an unbeliever today, I want you to know that you too can receive God's mercy. You too can have this inheritance. You too can have this hope of an inheritance that awaits you. But I want to be very clear that the Christian life is not easy. If you're an unbeliever, I want to be clear that this is not a cakewalk. This is not something that you should take lightly. If you're an unbeliever and, and you come to Christ, God is going to change you. And the friends that you have now, they might think you're weird. They might think you, you you've somehow just, you're delusional or something like that. You might lose friends. You might lose family members. Your family members might treat you differently. You're going to suffer. But it's worth it because of what we will obtain. To the believer... Give God praise and rejoice, because He's what He's given you, because what He's promised you, that inheritance that awaits you. Rejoice, because even though you're suffering now, your faith is being tested, and it will persevere through those trials. To us as a church, I want us to be reminded, as we read this covenant earlier, that we're not suffering alone. As we, enter, as we suffer persecution, we're not doing it by ourselves. First Corinthians 12:26 tells us, if one member suffers, all suffer together. The reason we read our membership covenant together was to, was to show us that we are united with one another, and we suffer together. We face persecution not as individuals on our own little islands, but we face it together as a body. May we enter these trials and may we face suffer, suffering and persecution with joyful praise as we set our hope on Christ and this inheritance that awaits us. Let's pray together.